What's up, podcast listeners? Yeah, this podcast is an absolute honor. Uh, I get to hang out with Saj Malay. And Saj, uh, Saj just is a good human being. Uh, so Saj, speaking directly to you, thank you. Uh, Saj has a finance background. He's a CFO. He's been a CFO for a couple of decades now. Grew up in Iran, spent time in Australia, uh, now overseas, uh, south, uh, you know, southern parts of Asia uh, for a very, very, very large organization. But more importantly than that, Saj is just like an amazing human being. He just is very honest, humble, uh, brilliant, but yet not trying to rub it in your face. He's very down to earth. So I hope uh, anybody gets a chance to take a look at this podcast and listen in because. This guy is one of those people who carries himself uh, with such a level of just being down to earth, yet you know how brilliant and truly intelligent he is. And it's just it's just an absolute honor. So Saj, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. And I hope everybody enjoys this just as much as I did. Saj, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. No worries, Matt. Thanks. Glad to be here. So you're recording, I think we're what, almost exactly 12 hours apart. It's 9 a.m. Eastern for me, and you're recording from Singapore? Yeah, I'm in Singapore, 9 p.m., 9.05 to be exact. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll dive into you know what your day job is in a little bit, but um, how often are you dealing with Singapore time zones versus U.S. time zones versus maybe some, somewhere else in the world? Uh, versus U.S. time zone is not very frequent, but uh, a lot of the time versus U.K. time zone, that's... Uh, that's where our corporate head office is. Uh, so yeah, sometimes uh, in that time zone. But um, I remember I recently moved to Singapore oh, about eight months ago. Before then, I was in Down Under in Australia. And uh, once I had to do a call with one of our colleagues in US, and the only time I could, and it was pretty urgent, and the only time I could fix up was for him Friday end of the day, which ended up being 6 a.m. Saturday morning for me. So it was an interesting uh, time. <laughs> uh, that sounds a little like, so our company president, Theo, um, so I live in Michigan. I travel a lot, but mainly based in Michigan and travel to the East Coast. So it's almost always Eastern time. But yeah. he lives in uh, Newport Beach, California, where it's Pacific time. So it's three hours behind. And I'm by nature a morning person, so I'm usually up at five or six my time. And I get all, you know, if when you wake up, you get a workout in, you start thinking about stuff, you start thinking about the day, and I get all excited. So I usually wait until I give him till about seven a.m. Eastern, which is four a.m. his time, until I start calling him, and he does not like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it happens to us one way or another with uh, with uh, basically a lot of companies, every part of the world having to work together. So. Yeah, and then he uh, he he he'll he'll return the favor with me uh, when it's ten o'clock at night his time, and it's like one o'clock. So I, I get it back. Don't worry. But anyways, uh, not to, not to spend too much time on uh, time zones. But Saj, you know, obviously I, I've we've kind of chatted back and forth a little bit by email, and I'm I'm just really excited to hear your story. So whatever you felt comfortable sharing, feel free to dive in on your background. No problem. Um, so I'll probably go all the way back from my childhood. Uh, I was Please, born, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I was born in Iran in a little town uh, close to the border of of Iraq, so on the western side of Iran. And uh, early childhood was in that town. Then uh, my family moved to the capital city, Tehran, and uh, and I was I went to uni there, and uh, and the early part of my career. Uh, was was there so for about 
roughly about seven, eight years uh, before um, I migrated uh, from Iran to Australia back in 2011. Um, I lived in Australia for about 10 years and uh, just recently, uh, less than a year ago, moved to Singapore. So, so far lived in kind of three countries, um, but due to job and the work, uh, I kind of operated, I can, I can use the word operated across a little bit more countries because uh, especially my current job, uh, I look after a number of countries. So I had the opportunity to be able to familiarize myself with a number of cultures and a number of geographies. And, and that is an amazing, uh, an amazing experience. Um, but um, I guess a little bit more about, uh, you know, what got me from Iran to Australia. Um, that's an interesting story there, because uh, um, in, when I was in, in high school, um, I get to know this guy, which you probably have heard, Tony Robbins. Uh, I, I picked up one of his books. This is in Iran, so the translation, uh, Unleash the Power Within. And I just randomly bought it in a book, uh, book fair. Um, and that book had a pretty big impact in me. Um, and I remember one thing vividly is when I read that book for the first time, and it has, again, a pretty big impact on, on myself. And there was some chapters where he talked about his uh, seminars. So I guess for you living in U.S. Uh, or for many other uh, people who are listening to this and living in, in kind of the developed countries, um, Tony Robbins seminar is not a, it's a pretty accessible thing, right? So you can just, you know, uh, go into another city and, and join or do one of his seminars. But for me at that time, it was something that I was like sitting there and I was like, is it possible that one day I go to one of his seminars? Um, <laughs> but anyway, long story short, uh, the impact of that book was um, I kind of became obsessed with, uh, with, being a goal-driven person and just setting goal for myself and keep going and enjoy the journey and enjoy enjoy the ride. Then another momentous, um, a different momentous time was uh, a couple of years later when the first uh, Lord of the Ring movie came out. Now you might say these are completely random stuff, but anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, I can totally see the connection. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that movie and I said, wow, these sceneries and the nature in this movie is amazing. So um, with the early versions of the computers and early versions of Internet uh, back then, I Googled and, and I kind of like understood that the movie was filmed in New Zealand. So I set a target for myself that I want to go to New Zealand. Uh this is when I'm probably around or roughly maybe 18 years old, maybe 17. So I'm not even in uni. And, uh, and then I did a bit more digging and find out, okay, how I can go to New Zealand, what is required, what is the migration system, blah, blah, blah. And then I set a long-term goal for myself that I want to go to New Zealand. Um, fast forward, forward a, a couple of years, um, uh, in uni now and, uh, and then one of my friends uh, went to Australia and, and he told me that, hey, you probably want to change your plan because the, the Kiwis, they come from New Zealand to Australia for work. There's not a lot of work there. So 
was like, okay, that's interesting. And uh, yeah, good, good, good to know. Good friend. <laughs> yes. Um, so anyway, a slight change in the plan, and uh, and then that's how ten years later, after that decision, uh, I finally moved uh, moved to Australia. Um, and I did a lot of preparation for that. And that ten years that that remained to be kind of like the biggest goal. And, uh, and everything else was dedicated toward that goal. Um, so um, in, in Iran, um, I was, when after uni, I started working for a couple of companies, but the biggest part of it was, uh, was working for Nestle. Um, great experience there, great learning. I kind of worked my way up uh, from the lowest ranks of finance um, to kind of like deputy CFO in Iran and uh, pretty good, uh, again, learning experiences in Nestle. Nestle is a company that invests a lot on on people development. So uh, kind of formed the foundation of my career there. And then after moving to Australia, I have some funny stories to tell on the, on the first few months of uh, landing in Australia as well, but maybe I will save it for a bit later. Uh, then worked for Coca-Cola Amatil um, in, in Australia for, for also about six years. And four years ago, I joined AstraZeneca, so my current company, and, um, and again, had a couple of amazing years uh, in, in AstraZeneca. And that brings me to the current time, my latest role, uh, which I'm looking at after finance matters of a few of the Asian countries based in Singapore, um, but looking also after um, Indonesia as well as Singapore and and also a little bit of Philippine uh, up until recently. Um, I mean, first off, you, your, your background's absolutely amazing. And thanks for sharing a couple of those kind of highlight sort of life-changing moments, if you will. So the, the first thing, you know, growing up in, an Iran, on, in Iran, what would be like, so for a, a Westerner that's never been so I've been to been to um, Israel and briefly in Jordan, but I haven't spent a whole lot of time sort of broadly um, stretching that area. What would be something that uh, uh, somebody who's never been there totally misunderstand about a country like Iran? Very good question. Um, look, I think uh, and and I can share a bit in there because when I was working in Nestle, Nestle is a Swiss German company, and uh, and a lot of uh, top level positions, executives, and and also leadership roles, uh, even to this date in Iran, um, are still people from either Switzerland or Germany or Europe in general. And it's interesting. One thing that was unanimous on with all of them, they all get pleasantly surprised from what their perception is before entering the country. To what they experience after uh, being in the country, and I think the difference uh, about these individuals is they actually experience living in the country because they were coming there for work on a two-three years assignment, so um, they really experienced like living in Iran. Uh, there are a few reasons for that, and I guess number one is first of all there is not a lot of foreigners uh, living in in Iran or even uh, visiting Iran uh, for tourism. Um, number two, 
and and for that uh, number two is Iranian people are generally very welcoming or majority of them um, and uh, that's why when they come across like a foreigner they go the extra mile to offer help hospitality and and things like that so that's why all these guys um, they were getting completely pleasantly surprised um there was a guy yeah, of, all, of, all, of all things to totally be shocked by is showing up and being very welcomed into a country i mean it's one of those things where it's like wait a minute i could i could hang out here i like this that was yeah. i i found that to be true um again not not exactly the same but i found that to be true visiting israel was how remarkably just like hospitable whether it was like joining for a meal or like uh, my dad and I went into this little shop where he was looking at buying a small little piece of like, it was a map that he was looking to buy. And it was one of the funniest things I were sitting in there and the, uh, the, the store owner was, you know, showing him and, and, and one of, I think either one of his assistants or somebody who worked for him walked in and just says, would you guys like some coffee? And we both said, yeah, sure. And so he goes, comes back with like a full tray, espresso, a little bit of chocolate, coffee, the whole thing. And I, and, and we were like, Surprise! I was like, oh, great. Like, you know, we were thinking of like a small cup of coffee. And I just said, how much, like, can I pay for how much is it? And he, and he said, no, 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 it's on us. And he made the comment. He goes, just so you're aware, he goes, do you mind if I teach you something? I said, please. He goes, when somebody in, in, in Israel, and at least, and it sounds like this is true in a lot of other countries as well, but when somebody offers you coffee like that, they would like to take care of you and it's their gesture to you. And I was just blown away by sort of just the willingness and acceptance. And it sounds like some people who have visited Iran sounds like almost similar sort of, similar sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's a little bit more magnified in Iran because again, we don't get the whole lot of visitors. Now, I don't know if one day the country opens up and it becomes like a tourism hub and we get like a 20 million tourists, everyone would still get the same experience. I'm not sure. Yeah. I can't guarantee. But for now, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't afford giving that much coffee away. Exactly. Uh, but for now, with, uh, with the limited number of foreigners that uh, every now and then either live there or, or visit there, um, that's the experience they get. Another um, interesting piece on this is um, there are a number of people, a handful of people who have this, you know, world record of traveling to all countries. And some of them, they have it like because they did it all on land or without using a plane and all. I forgot the name of the guy, but uh, one or two of these, they had the specific post on, on each country and if you look at the Iran post, again, completely agree with this sentiment around being uh, positively uh, surprised. And I think one of them was saying out of 150 countries, his, his favorite country was Iran. Now, I'm not saying all of this to say because I'm Iranian, Iran is the best country in the world. Of course, it has uh, its own issues and its own problems and, and all those things. But I think... As it stands now, if you're a visitor um, and if you're a little bit careful not to get into trouble with the government and, you know, those kind of things, then uh, from a people perspective, you will have an amazing experience. Which, uh, you know, I think is probably true in most countries. If you stay away from getting in trouble with the government, you're probably yeah. going to be OK. But That's no, that, 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 that uh, no, I, I, I love that. Um, so. All right. So you went from. Um, 
Iran, Iran to then you, uh, then you went to Australia. What part of Australia did you live at? And then was, were you working at Nestle when you're in Iran or were you, what, what was kind of the timeline of when you made the shift from Iran to Australia? Sure, sure. So, um, I, I went to Australia, um, at the age of 27, um, and, uh, and, uh, first of all, to answer the late, later part of your question, Nestle was in Iran. So I worked in, in Nestle for like, uh, around six, seven years in Iran Okay. before Nestle, um, also worked for a couple of local companies and audit organizations, etc. But Nestle is one of the few handful of, uh, international companies that they operate in Iran. There's not a whole lot of them, but uh, Nestle is one has been doing that consistently for uh, for many years now. So I had the opportunity to to work for them. It was also part of my broader plan and intentionally wanted to work for an international company because I knew at one point I want to go to Australia. So I wanted uh, I wanted that transition to be smoother and easier. And I figured that would be the case if I worked for an international company. So that's that part of the question. Um, and then, um, so yeah, I think your first first part was when I moved to Australia, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yep. Yeah, so so at the age of 27, but this the decision was made probably around 10 years before. Uh, and that 10 years was just all dedicated to getting all the requirements done, the points and, the, um, you know, everything that I needed. I needed a degree. I needed a couple of years of experience before I could even apply for uh, for the permanent residency stuff. So, um, yeah, that's that's broadly the, the timeline. No, I love it. And then uh, what parts of the country did you live in in Australia? Sydney, all the 10 years in Sydney. Um, I, 20, January of 2019. So the year before a lot of the fires happened, um, had a chance to visit there in New Zealand. And I mean, just what, what an amazing country we spent probably of all places. We spent the least amount of time in Sydney. We did two nights there, but we did a night or we did three or four days in, uh, Cairns, which is amazing. Uh, Melbourne, which is amazing. Um, and then, uh, Queenstown in, uh, in, um, New Zealand. I mean, just so it, it was a, it was a four, 16 day trip and it was like not enough time to do both countries yeah. justice. I mean, it was like an amazing trip. Like it was such a cool spot, but it was jam packed with bopping around. I mean, such, such a special mm-hmm. country. Well, both of them are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's a beautiful part of the world. And, and look, um, Character-wise, I'm a number man, so I love analysis and numbers and, and looking at things and, uh, and stuff like that, which is part of also my job. And after I made the decision about, okay, this country is pretty cool, just based on the Lord of the Ring movie, then I also did a lot of research. And uh, in all of those research in terms of, you know, like quality of life and, and economy and you know, how can you progress and build a life in these countries? Both countries, they come pretty high up in, in, in ranking, both New Zealand and Australia, um, along with a, along with a bar, bunch of Scandinavian countries as well, which uh, they usually rank high up in terms of, you know, welfare, economy, 
society, jobs, etc. So, so they are. Um, I mean, both of them truly amazing. Um, I had an amazing ten years time building basically my life there because I, I moved pretty early on and and uh, I built my family there, built the foundation of kind of my my life in there, and I love it. I call it home. Australia is my second home, and and I'm sure at some point I'll be back in there. So, um, yeah, pretty amazing. So let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about. Um, so obviously we know your role now, which is amazing. So walk me through kind of the career path of what led you up to where you're at today, which obviously you're having a huge impact in certainly the fin- financial world and pharmaceutical world. But let's would love to would love to sort of hear um, how how you kind of got to where you're at today. Sure, absolutely. Um, the early part of it, I should say, is pretty random because, um, you know, we have this uh, national university uh, entrance exam in Iran where, where depending on your ranking, you get a, a couple of choices on which, uh, which university you want to go and which uh, major you want to study and graduate in. Um, and based on my ranking, you know, and, and the, the options I had, I ended up studying accounting. But after that, uh, I don't know which one happened first. I was a number man first or studying it made me a number man, whatever it was. It just, um, I got into this alignment in terms of what my job is and what I really enjoy. And uh, and that's where that alignment uh, really helped into kind of build my career early days and even even to this date i i really truly enjoy every day of my my work um so yeah early early years in iran uh started with audit and and working uh, working for an audit company then um then i joined another local company but then i moved uh, to nestle and uh and again uh, for for a number of years worked my way up uh, pretty much all the way to the cfo um, when I actually um, resigned for the purpose of migrating to Australia, they actually offered me to stay and become the CFO of Nestle Iran, but uh, I really wanted uh, to move to Australia. So that was a higher priority for me. And, um, and therefore, um, I, was, I, was, I was about to say with, uh, with, I mean, what an honor, congratulations on being offered that, but also with basically what sounds like 10 years of preparation to finally move somewhere. It's like, yeah, no, I kind of got to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was like, I, I respectfully said the same thing. I said, look, I had an amazing, uh, number of years here. I learned a lot and, uh, and I obviously grown with the company, but it was it was at a young age as well, so it would have been uh, really amazing. But anyway, um, I said that it's really important for me to to do this, and and I'm not regretting it. And I think it still was was the right decision. Uh, moving to Australia just completely opened a lot of new doors, a lot of new opportunities. Um, it was a a big step. Uh, we didn't have any family in Australia, any relative. Uh, between me and my wife, when we moved to Australia, we knew uh, we didn't know anybody. Um, so that was, from that perspective, was a pretty big step. But then the next ten years in Australia, obviously, um, built a lot of connections and pretty amazing uh, network of friends, which I can call some of them family members. Um, the way we are 
you know, we became close together. Then moved to Australia. Um, okay, maybe I detour here and, and tell an uh, interesting career, relatively related career story. And, yeah, so when, uh, when you move to Australia, no matter which country you are, maybe with the exception of UK, uh, the local recruiters give you a little bit of a hard time because the first question is, do you have local experience? And of course, you don't have local experience. So it um, makes it a little bit of a, a, a hard transition just right away in the beginning. And, um, and I was talking to this recruiter guy. Um, this is like 11 years ago now. And um, I always... I always like a lot of forward-looking and preparation and planning and stuff like that. So before actually moving to Australia, for about one and a half year before, uh, before that, I was listening to radio shows um, of Australia, local radio station online from Iran, to get myself familiar for basically what's happening in Australia, what's happening day-to-day -day life, what are the topics and also, I've heard the accent is pretty thick, so I was preparing myself for the accent as well. Um, and and then uh, when I was talking to this recruiter guy, and he said, um, "Look, I don't have anything on on the uh, at the moment, but uh, do you want to come for a beer?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." Um, so when when I joined him and uh, we were drinking at the bar, I started telling him about this story, and I was like, "Hey, you know, I was listening to Ray Hadley," and he was like, "What?" I was like, yeah, I was listening to Ray Hadley uh, one year ago and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you were listening to Ray Hadley from Iran? And I was like, yes, I was. And I and it was like at 1 a.m. in the morning because uh, it was a morning show in, in, in Australia. And <laughs> that story itself, um, the next day he gave me a job. <laughs> and later we became friends. <laughs> and... Uh, and then he told me that, look, I have never trusted people without local experience. But when you told me that from one and a half year before moving to Australia, you were listening to a local radio station just for preparation, I said, okay, this guy must have done his homework. Let me give him the job. So, yes, not to mention for somebody working in finance, we probably want them to do their homework. So, uh, yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that got me my, my first job. And then uh, a few months after, I, I joined Coca Cola. Um, back then, Coca Cola was the top employer. So, um, the, it was a pretty smooth transition, I would say, for somebody moving from Iran to Australia to be. Uh, joining the top employer. Um, and then again, I, I had a pretty good career, a number of years there, and, and did a number of different business partnering roles. Um, really enjoyed my time there as well. Um, at the time, Coca-Cola started to have its own challenges. So to work in Coca-Cola, to be in finance, and in an environment where... Um, Revenue came under pressure just because of, you know, the whole health trend and, you know, people are not drinking as much sugar drink as they used to before. Um, it was pretty tough to be in the finance because then all the conversation was, okay, what, what should we do? Like, uh, what should we do to maintain profitability or to, to manage the situation if the revenue is not growing, etc.? Uh, that gave me a lot of um, 
resilience and uh, being able to survive in a in a tough environment with a lot of tough questions and and uh, decisions actually to be made um but still it was a fulfilling journey a lot of learning along the way um a lot of uh, amazing experiences um especially the last two years um i worked for the alcohol and coffee division um that was pretty amazing we we had uh, one of one of the greatest leaders that i came across during my career was the head of that division in, in Coca-Cola Amethyl. I learned a lot about him uh, from him and uh, and that was you know pretty good good experience. Um, and then I wanted to just change the whole um, environment and industry. So uh, until then it was pretty much finance within FMCG industry between Nestle and Coca-Cola. And I wanted to do something different, uh, and that's uh, that's when I sort of uh, picked healthcare, and uh, and then I joined AstraZeneca uh, four years ago, uh, again in Australia. So, um, I mean, first off, it just um, it's uh, it's an awesome, you know, just to hear the the background, and kind of the transition leading up, and um, it's amazing to be, you know, that there's the positive side of or just is what it is, crunchy numbers of finance, but also when you have sort of macro trends like, oh, people aren't drinking sugar drinks, we still have to have a business, we still have to grow the business, this business will still be here, but things are changing. I mean, what fascinating questions to sort of think about at a such a high macro level scale. And you mm -hmm. probably, I'm sure, asked the question, is this a trend that will last six months, a year, 10 years, or forever be there, right? And just, I, I'm sure there was uh, some both challenging and very fascinating conversations to have along the way, which is kind of what I, the, 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 um, the next question I wanted to ask was obviously you're in the pharmaceutical world. So what would be what would be radically different of being, uh, being in finance of, a you know, a uh, uh, consumer brand like Nestle to the pharmaceutical world. And then what would be relatively similar? So I guess differences and similarities between sort of your, your two roles now. Great question, Matt. Thanks for asking. I think um, let me start with the similarity. So finance in general had this, uh, we have this opportunity in the finance uh, that we can, we can move between industries because the core part of what we do in the finance uh, is, no, is, is very transferable. So uh, you can move from um, pharmaceutical to FMCG or you can go into tech or you can go into manufacturing, you know, car manufacturing or heavy industry. Broadly speaking, the role doesn't change. Now, what is that role? What is the role of finance? Let me a little bit uh, maybe talk about that. And, and that role also has changed during the years. So even uh, reflecting on my own experience, what, what used to be the role of finance 20 years ago from what used what is the role of finance these days and what is the latest trends in terms of, you know, uh, what is the upcoming new roles that the finance professionals need to play are totally different. But um, in, in today's term, it's more about being the co-pilot of the business. That's, that's, I think, the best analogy that I can come across from like being a CFO is being a co-pilot of the business. And what does what that means is I always, uh, I always picture a Formula One driver with their navigator sitting aside 
And the role of the navigator is to read the map and basically, you know, tell the driver that there's the there's a turn coming up and you know blah blah blah. So um, that is the that is the role that the CFO uh, needs to play, among a lot of other things. Obviously, the traditional part of the role is still their custodian of the business, looking after the the business, making sure fraud doesn't happen, making sure. Um, everything is in order from like the numbers, asset, etc. Those are more the traditional part. They haven't stopped from existing. They still exist today in the requirement and the job description. But there, there is this whole new parts that um, has emerged in, in especially the, uh, let's say the last decade or so, and and it's more focused around partnering with the, uh, with the CEO or with the GM in order to make sure that we first set a solid plan and second, we we track and monitor performance, we proactively manage the outcome, we ensure that the, the plan is delivered. So we, we play an active role in, in that sense. So a little bit about the, I guess, the role of a, a finance and CFO, that role and that core job description doesn't change a lot between companies. Uh, what changes, and now I get to the other part of your question, what was what was the change for me between FMCG and pharmaceutical? It's the industry, obviously, but um, reflection of that for me personally is the mission of the company. Um, I, I intentionally chose healthcare because after thinking and uh, and looking at the mission of each of these industries, uh, I found myself resonating a bit more um, with the healthcare, and that's what what some, what some uh, it was something that I wanted to do, and that mission is basically helping people, saving people in in many cases, uh, helping people to deal with their health problems, and and again. In some cases where the illness is critical, then uh, it becomes saving life, and and I think that's a that's a pretty amazing mission and journey to be part of. I guess a recent example of that was what happened in in the pandemic and the whole uh, you know COVID nineteen and uh, and the role that the pharma companies played in in bringing vaccine to the world and being able to save millions of lives, millions of lives across the world. Um, and I know there is a lot of noise about, you know, in the in the past couple of years, there was a lot of noise about um, the data, the efficacy, blah, blah, blah. And there are some even controversial discussions that, uh, on this. But I think um, majority of the world is in consensus that if it wasn't for vaccines a lot of uh, a lot more lives would have been lost along the way and uh, and i think uh, i'm very proud to to be part of that journey and uh, maybe have contributed just my little bit of share in in the finance part of it and in the numbers and stuff but um it's still a pretty amazing journey to be part of yeah i love it i love it and um Regardless of sort of the opinions on vaccinations or not, I think the fact of the broader scope of the impact and so many people, their intention of saying we're doing this to 
help and save lives in whatever direction you're choosing to be a part of, uh, helping with the effort of <laughs> no matter, no matter what, just having people be less sick to, uh, to whatever degree that is. So, um, certainly thank you for obviously your impact in that. And I, I guess that's, it's kind of a perfect transition to my sort of last question in all this is related to like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And you mentioned, you know, the transition into healthcare because, um, it's literally saving lives, right? And the decisions from a financial perspective have broader impacts on um, whether people get access to more, um, you know, drugs or med- you know, uh, Medicare that they need or what- whatever it may be. Um, but for you, what's beyond just your current role, what's sort of the broader impact that you hope to accomplish? And maybe a two-part question, or maybe it's the same thing. Um, at the end of the day, kind of with all of this, what-, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty deep question. <laughs> we can't go on and on about it. But it's, it's night. It's nighttime for you, so you should have a drink in front of you. For me, it's a <laughs> coffee getting us started. <laughs> yes, true. Um, look, I think um, there's two parts for that. Uh, for me, there's two parts to that questions, and and one is uh, what I just said in the last question about the whole, uh, you know, being part of that. Uh, journey on on helping people and saving lives in cases that's that's i think a a pretty uh, amazing mission to be part of uh, it's not a mission that exists in every single industry i mean in other industries still is providing services and and products that helps human beings in one way or another uh, but I think uh, the impact of healthcare is directly on on people's uh, you know health problems or again saving lives lives is a pretty amazing story and and on a personal front um, again I love my job I love everything about the numbers and uh, maybe to be a little bit more specific about that is every character test that I have done in in the past many years and um, they're all a little bit different, but at the end of the day, their output is pretty same, tells you about your strengths and your development areas, etc. But in everything that I have done, two things usually gets highlighted. One is strategic and the other one is futuristic. Now, these two traits, they, they fit perfectly with the job I do because... To be a co-pilot uh, for a business and and to be able to help providing that direction and future roadmap, you actually need to be a strategic and you actually need to be futuristic. Um, this also um, happens basically in my personal life as well. Most of the time I find myself thinking about future. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just fits well with, with the job I do and, and that's why... I enjoy every bit of it. So I don't get tired if I put like a 12-hour day in or a 16-hour day in at some time, sometimes. Just because it's number one, fulfilling. Number two is is doing something that I, I love doing. Um, and just uh, for the fun bit, if I if I add one, uh, one piece in, in this is um, sometimes when I go running at night, one time I, I caught myself that, wow, I've been running for half an hour. And I, it's in my head, it has still been all about the numbers. I have, either, I have either been calculating the calories I've burned or the steps I've taken 
are the distance from home and how much is left to go back or by the time I go back, how much calorie I'm burning <laughs> or walking past the houses is I'm evaluating their value and <laughs> blah, 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 land value. Yeah. Rental whatever, whatever, whatever you can grasp onto that lets you start counting the numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, for a lot of people, you know, people may find it boring, but I think in my case, uh, there's this perfect synergy between the work I do and, and what I enjoy. So um, I'm, I guess, pretty lucky in that sense as well. I love it. Well, Saj, um, your story is amazing. And, and obviously, thank you for sharing it. Um, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for being a guest on this podcast. For people that want to follow along with what you're doing, maybe more about the company, maybe more about you, what's the best way for them either to um, follow some of, the, some of the work and content you're putting out or just learn more about you? Sure. First of all, thank you as well. Uh, a pleasure to be part of uh, your show and your podcast. And uh, and I guess uh, the best way would be LinkedIn profile. Um, I mean, people can search my name, Saj Molai, and uh, it comes up in uh, in LinkedIn. So um, I'm pretty active on there and, and try to answer every message or inquiry I get, or most of them, I should say. I love it. Well, Saj, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you very much, Matt, and you have a good day. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.